Welcome back, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Marist Minute. It's springtime here in Michigan, and as the flowers bloom, the Notre Dame community is taking time to reflect on the life of St. Peter Chanel, Marist priest and martyr. On the occasion of his feast day of April 28th, I have a very special guest joining us, Father Joseph Hindling, all the way from Washington, D.C. Father Hindling is the provincial of the United States province of the Society of Mary, and he will share a little bit about St. Peter Chanel and why he is a living example of the love Jesus Christ has for all of us. Welcome, Father Joe. On the Feast of St. Peter Chanel, we want to talk a little bit about who he is and what he meant to the Marists and why he's so important to your order. It's good to be here with you, uh, Dan, and with the Notre Dame audience. St. Peter Chanel was one of the earliest Marists. Um, There were 20 Marists who professed vows in 1836, and he was one of those Marists. He was already a diocesan priest, as were many of the early Marists. So uh, when he professed vows as a Marist, he was kind of all set to go, all set to get involved in ministry. He had been involved already in parish work and in work at what would be equivalent to a high school here today. He was a teacher and a spiritual director at this high school and eventually ended up as the principal or headmaster, the director of the high school. So he was very involved in education. He was a very bright man. But one of his concerns was always to do more. He wanted to share the gospel. So he volunteered to be a missionary. He was one of the first band of Maris. There were about seven of them who left. So out of the 20 who professed vows, seven or eight of them uh, went off right away to serve in the foreign missions. It was in the territory of Oceania, places like Fiji and Tonga and the Solomon Islands. And uh, at that time, it was pretty much unknown to Europeans. They weren't sure exactly what to expect. It always struck me that he set off with the other missionaries on Christmas Eve because that's when the conditions were right, winds and tides and all of that. So they left France on Christmas Eve in 1836, and it took them about 11 months to get to where uh, they were headed. They uh, sailed west and went uh, along the coast of South America uh, and then up the other side of South America to Hawaii and uh, Tonga. And eventually they landed at a place called Wallace, uh, which is a very small island. And a couple of the missionaries were posted there by the bishop who traveled with them, who was associated with the Marist, but because he was a bishop, he never professed vows himself as a Marist. And then the second island they landed at was a place called Fatuna, and that's where St. Peter Chanel and a brother, Brother Marie Nizier, they uh, were posted there. 
again, it was a fairly small island, and I think the population was probably around 3,000 or so. Uh, um, And uh, he spent the rest of his life uh, there on that island. He knew when he left France that he probably would never return to France, but he felt a call to spread the gospel, to share that with other people. And so that's what he spent a lifetime doing. So was he fairly young when he he started? He he was 33 years old when he uh, began his career as a missionary. And um, he um, began in 1837 is when he actually began on on the island of Fortuna. And he eventually was martyred in 1841. So he had a short four years to share the gospel. He uh, felt a real call. He was already doing good work in France as a parish priest or as a teacher, but felt this new call to be a missionary. And so that's what he wanted to do with his life and did a very good job at that in very trying conditions. He experienced all kinds of there there was warfare going on on the island there were two different tribes uh two different groups that were constantly fighting each other for control um they also faced a lot of weather issues earthquakes and um a cyclone and so peter chanel and brother marie nizier um went through all of that with the people He wasn't a trained doctor, but he knew some things about medicine, and that was often his in with people. They often came to him if they had some kind of malady or injury, and certainly after some of the battles that went on between the two different tribes, uh, there were a lot of injuries to take care of, and he did his best with that. Uh, But his main focus was as much as possible to share the gospel It took him a long time to learn enough of the language so that he could share the gospel with people. Uh, There was another uh, European uh, who was not Catholic, uh, who was on the island, who often acted as a translator. He became a a good friend of the two Maris who were there on the island, and he often acted as a translator or go between, uh, between the people and Peter Chanel. So was his missionary style very much in tune with how the Marists try to to live out their lives today? It, it was very similar. One of the things that he thought was important, and he really had no training as a missionary. A lot of the um, missionaries who went off more recently had training before they left Europe or, uh, in some cases, the U.S. when they set off for the missions. But he really had no training. But his style was simply to learn what the people were like, first of all, and how he could uh, be a part of their lives, and then to quietly begin sharing the gospel with them. Uh, and, and that was his style. So he uh, did that very well. So rather than uh, come on and, and threaten them with uh, all kinds of dire things if they didn't convert, um, that he simply shared the good news of God's love with them. 
uh, in who Jesus Christ was and why he wanted to impact their lives, even being so far away from uh, Jerusalem, from Israel, where Jesus lived his life, it still had an impact so many years later in an entirely different part of the world. And that's the way he went about sharing uh, the gospel. Often the only people who were baptized were um, babies who were kind of on the verge of dying. There were a few adults who accepted the message of Christianity, but many of them were uh, afraid of the chief or king of the island, who, although he was at times friendly to the Tumeris who were there, didn't really want this new religion because he saw it as European and mm. he didn't want it to impact uh, the people and their ancient way of life. So he was very leery of this new message, this new religion. And even though, as I say, he was friendly at times, he was very much opposed to uh, a, a, a European coming in and bringing this whole new religion. Well, is that uh, kind of what led to his martyrdom? It is. Um, one of the people, finally, uh, who accepted Christianity uh, was the chief or king's oldest son who wanted to be baptized. And so he was uh, baptized as a Christian. And we think that was probably the motivation for the king to uh, figure this was enough. This was too much. Uh, and so he, he said to some of his trusted advisors, it would be better without uh, this these Europeans here on our island. And so while uh, Brother Marie Nizier was away on a different part of the island, a group of men came to St. Peter Chanel, and um, one of them was injured and wanted stitches or something to um, bind up his wound. And so Peter was a little bit leery, but he saw a man in need, and so he began taking care of his injuries. And it's at that point that he was clubbed to, de to death uh, and while he was dying, he uh, looked around and uh, a number of the people who were there in the hut with him as he was dying were very much touched by not uh, his seeking revenge or trying to defend himself, but simply uh, understanding uh, that um, they were sent to do a mission and they accomplished it through his death. So he died in the same way that he lived, very quietly and uh, with concern or compassion for uh, the people who caused his own martyrdom. So what about Marist Order spoke to, to Peter Chanel? But like how did, you said he started off as a diocesan priest. It was just the message of, of the Marist that got him interested in, in doing that work? I, I think so. I, it, uh, there, there was certainly a great interest in Mary, our lady, in France uh, at the time. They were recovering from the revolution and Napoleonic wars. 
And so the approach of the Maris and a few other uh, religious orders that were founded around the same time, uh, they recognized Mary as uh, a gentle presence um, and someone who always kind of steered people to her son. She never drew attention to herself or wanted to be the focus of what was going on but someone who understood the importance of the gospel message, the message that uh, God become human, her son, Jesus, brought into the world, um, the whole message that God loves us. And I I think that's what uh, impacted Peter Chanel when he was a diocesan priest, and along with the other early Maris who were touched by uh, the example of Mary, who, again, never drew attention to herself, but uh, wanted to be the um, best disciple of her son, Jesus. And so I think uh, that's what drew Peter Chanel and, and um, impacted his ministry, um, um, the way that he approached uh, people, uh, whether it was as a parish priest or as a um, teacher or director of a high school or as a missionary among people who weren't all thrilled uh, that he was there among them. So I I think that's what impacted his life, his ministry. So let's jump to his impact here at Notre Dame. Prior, you were principal of the high school uh, for several years, and I know one of the things that one of the big activities they do at the school every year is the St. Peter Chanel Day of Service. Talk a little bit about that and how that coincides with like his message and, and like the Marists in general. As a martyr, uh, Peter Chanel was pretty much considered a saint from the time of his death. Within a few years of his dying, all of the people on Fatuna, the island that he was on. Uh, all of them became Christian, became Catholic. They were so much touched by his life and maybe his death as well that they became Christian. In 1954, uh, St. Peter Chanel was declared a saint of the Catholic Church, and that's the same year that uh, Notre Dame High School on the east side of Detroit, Harper Woods, opened. Uh, And so from the beginning of that school and certainly from the beginning of our school here in Pontiac, Notre Dame Prep and Marist Academy, uh, St. Peter Chanel has uh, an important role to play. Uh, The media center is named after him just to kind of keep alive his name uh, and so that people might ask, um, who is this St. Peter Chanel and why is he important we always uh, stressed his feast day here at school. We would uh, have mass and sometimes have a share a treat with uh, the student body, whether it was Klondike bars or uh, some other treat with the student body. And more recently, it's uh, become associated with being a day of service. And again, the idea is Peter Chanel was a young man in his 30s when he went off as a missionary, but he felt a call to do something for people in an entirely different part of the world from Europe, people he had never met. And that's what he spent the remainder of his life doing. 
We try to remind the high school students uh, especially, but also the middle school and even the elementary students get involved in service that even at their young age, they have abilities that they can share with other people. And so a, a reminder to them, I think one of the great things about any kind of service is that you focus outward and it's a way of using whatever talents or abilities that God has blessed you with to use those to be of service to somebody else. Whether you've ever met the people before or not doesn't really matter. If there's something that you can do that would touch the life of someone else in a positive way, that's our call as Christians, but probably also as human beings, as part of the the human family. Uh, And so that's where the day of service uh, came from, to share who we are and what we have to be of help to those around us. So that speaks kind of to directly to the mission of Notre Dame Preparatory School and Marist Academy with the, the upright citizen and Christian person part of it, at, le- at the very least. And so when you were talking about our mission to new families and to current families, can you talk a little bit about the Marist vision for the school and how that kind of played into crafting that mission for the school? That mission comes from the founder of the Society of Mary, Father Jean-Claude Collin, who was Superior General at the time that uh, Peter Chanel joined the Maris and uh, professed his first vows. Father Collin is the one who set the mission for Marist educators and for the lay people who work with us uh, and he set it at that threefold aspect of uh, the mission to uh, we have the privilege to become ourselves and to help form Christian people, good citizens, and academic scholars. So one of the things that we always try to uh, do with new families is to let them know that we're not just an excellent school, uh, but we also see as our primary mission to help students uh, become good Christian people, good citizens of our country and of the world and of whatever locale they're a part of, whatever town or city they're involved in, along with uh, being good students. So those uh, first two aspects of the mission, becoming Christian people and good citizens, are extremely important uh, to us as Maris to share those with our students. We've been blessed with a great uh, bunch of lay people, lay teachers and lay staff members who understand the importance of this mission and do a great job of sharing that with our students in whatever ways they're able to do that, in the classroom or in the hallway or on athletic fields or on the stage or uh, on a robotics field. So wherever they are, uh, whatever uh, we're about, we're all called to help the students understand uh, that they've been created and blessed and loved by God who's given them talents and abilities 
and to help them develop those so that they uh, can grow uh, to be happy and uh, productive people in society and in the church. I've heard that hospitality is one of the key tenets of the Marists, and how can parents or families or staff embody this vision of like being a hospitable person as it relates to, say, the Marist way? It's true. Hospitality is one of the um, values or virtues that, that Marists hold, and it, it's probably something that a number of religious orders see as important. And so it's something that we try to share with our students, not only to make them feel welcome, but also to be people who are hospitable to others. So to not get involved in um, bullying other people or making other people uh, feel badly uh, no matter what, but rather uh, to welcome in people, to try to befriend somebody who might be having a bad day or maybe is new to the school. So that's something we always try to encourage the students to do. And even the staff members, uh, one of the things that Father Colan said that is that it's uh, often easy to recognize students who are very good in their subject or seem to have a lot of talents and abilities, but it's also important to reach out to students who might be shy, uh, who might have a difficult time um, with uh, subjects, uh, so to make sure that staff members are kind of aware of those students. So we try to involve staff in hospitality, but also students in hospitality, and then to encourage that among our families, too. Um, there are quite a number of parents who are very willing to welcome in other new parents, and it's often parents who can uh, explain to them what the school is all about or how they can get involved and uh, some of the ways to approach things. And so we always appreciate that when parents reach out to other parents, new parents or prospective parents, uh, to let them know what the school is all about. They um, new families, new parents uh, often expect the school uh, to speak well of itself, but it's um, other parents who can fill them in on uh, the best way of doing things, and hopefully uh, that uh, what they've heard about the school is actually true. So you're right that uh, value or virtue of hospitality is extremely important uh, at all levels uh, within the school. So I'll, I'll throw you probably an easy curveball, maybe not. If St. Peter Chanel were alive today, what do you think he would think about the state of affairs in the country and around the world right now? I, I think he would be uh, disappointed that so many years later we're still involved in warfare. Certainly uh, what's going on in Ukraine uh, is awful. Um, again, it seems like senseless killing, senseless harming of people who have done nothing wrong. The same kind of thing was going on on his tiny island and certainly in Europe during his lifetime. Uh, so I think he'd be uh, disappointed to see that warfare is still around, but he would probably recognize it and say, yes, we, we still have that. Um, but I think he uh, would also uh, 
be pleased that the Marist mission has continued in all parts uh, of the world, certainly where he was in the South Pacific. Uh, so many more people are Christian and Catholic than during his lifetime. And that's largely through the effort of Marist missionaries who, despite his martyrdom, continued to grow, to go to the South Pacific to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But in other aspects too, uh, the Marist mission has spread to uh, Africa and the Philippines and South America. And so I, I think uh, Peter Chanel would be pleased that there are still Marists uh, involved in great ministry in various parts of the world. And because one of his first min- ministries was education, I hope he would be pleased uh, to to see some of the uh, great schools uh, that we um, have continued to run, not with so many Maris in the schools, but joined by lay people who very much buy into the whole Marist mission, the whole Marist philosophy of education. So I think he'd be pleased with that aspect and and say we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, so it's good that there are willing people who, to join in the, the mission of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ in the way of Mary. And finally, how would you say we how can we strive as as humans to live up to the example of St. Peter Chanel? I think his thought that even though he was doing good work in Europe, that he saw something more that he could be doing, and so he volunteered to be a missionary. It's important for us, too, to look at our lives to see what more we can be doing. Hopefully none of us are bad people or people who do things out of a bad motive, but even good people can look at their lives and say, you know, there's something more that I could be doing. I could be more generous. Uh, I could be more other-centered than I am currently. I could be more aware of the blessings of God in my life uh, and share those blessings with other people. And whether it's talents or abilities or finances that I'm willing to share uh, or time, which is of such importance these days, I, I think we can all look for opportunities of what more we can do. Again, not that we're bad if we don't do them, but uh, just to be aware of the blessings in our lives and because of those to be willing to uh, share who we are and what we have and our time with other people. That's what it is to be a person touched by the good news of God's love and the offer of salvation to each of us. And again, the importance, uh, we think, as Maris, to do that in a quiet, unassuming way, following the example of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who always focused the attention on her son, Jesus. Well, I want to say, and I don't think I'm out of line, I feel like we're lucky here at Notre Dame, uh, the staff in, in particular, to see the Marist lifestyle lived out through yourself and Father Leon and Father Ron and, and uh, Father Straws and so and Brother Louie. So I've only been here three and a half years, but it, it feels like it's been a fantastic experience, and I've, I feel like I've picked up different characteristics just by 
the interaction I've had with each of you and uh, how you handle things, and I've tried to live my life differently, and so so I wanted to thank you personally for that. Uh, so I want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy day while you're here in, in Michigan and in Pontiac to, uh, to engage with me on the podcast. Thank you very much, Dan, for your kind words. It's been good to be with you and with whatever listening audience there, <laughs> there is out there. So thank you very much. Thanks.